Warning. This episode contains some strong language. Listener discretion is advised. stories that did make it. I'm Hilary B. Bisniak's listeners. I am so excited for this, the spookiest month out of the year, to welcome uh, just absolute queen of screams. You know her already, probably, hopefully, if you don't, get ready for a treat. Caitlin Starling, welcome to the show. Queen of screams, really. <laughs> Well, thank you for having me okay, back. Okay, I've never, I don't think I've ever screamed out loud reading any of your stuff, but like, I've lost sleep. Yes! In perfect. the past. Uh, Goal achieved. If, listeners, if you have not uh, been listening since the very beginning and heard Caitlin's previous appearance on this show, hopefully you do already know her from say, The Death of Jane Lawrence, one of my favorite gothic books of the last decade, or maybe her outstanding uh, Voluminous Dead, which I cannot read at night at all. I tried it once, and it was a bad idea. Uh, Just phenomenal, phenomenal horror writer and dear friend of the show. Uh, And here today to talk about Last to Leave the Room. Yeah, it's the newest full-length novel, since I've got a couple novellas floating out there in the ether as well. Um, Yeah, uh, we should mention, of course, we love Neon Hemlock and we love Yellow Jessamine. And there's going to be a new novella with Neon Hemlock called The Oblivion Bride, which is not horror. For once, I have written something that is not horror. Instead, it is... Well, I would call it romance, but it's a little bit too sad to be romance. It has a happy ending, <laughs> but it's 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 very grief-soaked. It's I mean, I still wrote it. So yeah. um, it's kind of meditative and dark and depressing until it's not anymore. Um, but it's an arranged marriage, age difference, oh. lesbian fantasy novel or novella. So Incredible. Uh, that should be coming out, I think, summer 2024. We haven't locked down a specific date, but I think the plan is summer since it's not a spooky one fantastic yeah yeah your your neon hemlock novellas everybody else's neon hemlock novellas like i'm i i'm constantly reminded i have it over on my shelf right over here of uh premium muhammad's and what can we offer you tonight oh my gosh yeah just like incredible the anthologies i've got a short story in the crawling moon Oh, anthology yeah. is coming up and it's very gross horny cannibal vampires i'm so yeah. here for this so oh yeah everything's coming up beyond hemlock yeah yeah the the times that i've been able to read fiction recently that aren't uh dracula daily have mostly been reading things out of luminescent machinations because a short story i can manage sometimes yeah uh, anyway, 
Uh, before we get into the reading, is there anything we need to know about uh, Last to Leave the Room? So I'm going to start in chapter two. So I guess there are a couple things you need to know, although most of it gets recapitulated pretty quickly. Um, so Last to Leave the Room is a more or less contemporary, might be, you know, five seconds into the future. I did never really settled on it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, time is fake. Who cares? Sci-fi horror with thriller elements. Um, it is, the quick pitch is that it is about a, an ambitious and callous researcher, Dr. Tamsin Rivers, who is trying to conceal the fact that her research for a tech conglomerate maybe causing her entire Californian city to sink into the ground Ooh. and also make her house sink faster than anything else, which is a little <laughs> bit incriminating. Um, while she's running damage control on that though, and she's trying to study this, this issue with her basement, a door appears that wasn't there before. And as she becomes more obsessed with it one day, the door opens and her doppelganger walks out. Oh my God. Um, the part that I'm going to read is from before this happens. I'm gonna, this is from the damage control part of the book. Um, and she has just discovered, well, she's just publicly announced, not even publicly. <laughs> she has just had a little shareholder meeting, very closed door at the tech conglomerate to tell the other departments and her boss, the CEO, what is happening to the city, what she knows what she has already put in place to control the issue and where she thinks things might go next. Um, and she thought that that went pretty well until she gets a text from Lachlan Woodfield, who is her handler, telling her to meet at this particular cocktail bar for two drinks. Um, and that's where we're going to pick up. Fantastic. And uh, for, for any video game, especially um, JRPG fans in listening... Uh, you can just imagine Lachlan as as if she is part of the Turks in Fall Fantasy VII. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so nice black suit, black gloves, questionable morals. They're good, fixed good, good. problems while making other problems. Yeah. Perigee is a slick little speakeasy tucked deep in the business district, a few miles from Mirka Dynamics campus. At this time of night, traffic is heavy and walking might have been faster, but Tamsin takes advantage of the delay to apply fresh lipstick and gently tease her hair into something more appropriate for the venue. Appearances are important after all. Summonses from Lachlan Woodfield hold as much weight as a court order. With much swifter censure, she takes them in contempt. She is not precisely a dog on a leash, but obedience is still her best option. A show of humility followed by acting as she always does, like she deserves to be here, like she knows the rules. Her lips are curling ever so faintly, a predator's smile as she passes into the air-conditioned cool of an 80-story high-rise. There are no signs, but Tamsin makes her way unerringly to the bank of elevators. She presses the button farthest to the left, which calls only one car. That car feeds all of the businesses in the tower, but it also is the only one that goes down. Hmm. As the car begins its descent five flights into the earth, she reflects on the very real possibility that this office building will soon be having some startling foundation problems. <laughs> Anybody else might have been too frightened to step in the car in the wake of that evening's announcements. But she knows there's time. Her own labs aren't showing any stress yet, and they're nestled far deeper underground than this little gem. It's the sewer systems that are going to feel the pinch next, according to the projections. And that's still a few weeks off. The elevator comes to a stop. The bar is more Tamsin-style than Lachlan's, and more Mr. Thomas's than either. That's the CEO. 
Deep teal wallpaper and gilded fixtures, a hammered copper bar, and a surfeit of glass and mood lighting. There's a brief moment where Tamsin half expects to see the CEO in the flesh, but when she spots Lachlan, she's alone. On balance, it's probably better that way. Lachlan Woodfield is a tall, broad woman with either a taste or a dress code requirement for tailored black suits and shiny leather brogues, which set off her dark, slicked-back hair and her gold-kissed skin to great effect. She's sitting in their usual booth, small and private, and she's still got her gloves on as she idly turns her rocks glass, condensation beads on her leather-clad fingers. Her eyes have been on Tamsin since the elevator opened, as always. Two drinks does not mean that Lachlan desires her company, of course. It means Tamsin has earned a dressing down for bypassing Lachlan and Mr. Thomas, springing the problem on them at the same time as everybody else. Whatever Mr. Thomas's opinion on the matter, his feedback is going to be more involved than, here's your funding, enjoy. She steals herself. Two drinks, and whatever it is will be over. The bar seating is full, as are most of the tables. Tamsin makes her way to their booth, not staring back at Lachlan, but not looking away either. This is always the most awkward part. It's hmm. a long walk. And then she's there, slipping into her seat and setting her purse off to one side of the table. Mix Woodfield, Tamsin says, and the greeting loosens her limbs with an imagined hydraulic hiss. Their game is now once more in the active phase, and she knows how to play. They've worked together now for eight years. At times, they go months between meetings. It depends on Tamsin's current mandate for Mr. Thomas, her general willingness to play by the rules set out for her, and likely the demands of whomever else Lachlan's been assigned to manage. Tamsin has never been able to figure out who those people might be. Dr. Rivers, Lachlan replies, reaching across to take Tamsin's purse and set it in the curve of the bench seat between them both. It's courteous on the surface, but it's really a reminder of how easily Lachlan can cross her boundaries and how little Tamsin can do about it. Manage is the best term she can think of for what Lachlan does, but it's management in the sense of a sheepdog to its flock, not business administration. <laughs> Lachlan is, above all else, somebody who fixes problems by any means necessary. Tamsin is at risk, always, of becoming that problem. She has a great deal of freedom, a great deal of funding, and a great deal of access to proprietary corporate data. The job plays to her strengths. Back in her academic days, she bypassed the softer sciences to avoid having to comport or edit herself for internal ethical review boards. Not all of what she's asked to do or wants to do is strictly advisable or legal. And that means that for all that she's a jewel in the crown of Mirka's research department, she's also a liability. And she's ambitious. The risk of her straying to a competitor or spilling secrets for a profit is high. Hmm. Among other things, Lachlan is in her life to make sure she doesn't. It's a fair arrangement. And what have you ordered me? Tamsin asks, crossing her legs, the tip of her shoe very close to Lachlan's knee. They don't touch. This is as much a power play as dragging Herrera into a gatekeeping role in the new emergency project, but Lachlan's answer will also say a great deal about the mood Mr. Thomas is in. <laughs> A Negroni, Lachlan says, leaning back against the booth, one arm along the top of the cushion. It's not the most aggressive maneuver. It's a drink Lachlan knows Tamsin likes, something Tamsin has ordered for herself in the past. But it is one that lends itself to slow sipping, a shorter leash to keep Tamsin's attention. I apologize for what must have seemed like an end run around proper protocol, Tamsin says. The room is designed to dampen sound, but it's still polite to keep things vague. She drops her gaze to the table for no more than a breath. But in this case, I wanted to start the conversation with a path to a solution instead of an ambiguous problem. Lachlan takes a sip of her drink. You certainly have everybody's attention. <laughs> I'll be sending over a report of what we know to you in the morning. It will be a very different report than the one she's making available to the team, and Lachlan inclines her head in understanding. The waiter drops off Tamsin's drink along with a variety of olives. Tamsin considers, but doesn't order the fig appetizer. She doesn't remember the last time she ate, but she doesn't want to encourage interruptions either. Besides, she likes olives. She <laughs> eats three. 
When they're alone again, Lachlan says, we're concerned that by creating a larger investigatory body for the problem, we may run into containment issues. Either we expand the scope or somebody else does it for us, Tamsin says. This way we guide the discussion. On the off chance there's a connection, we're already there on the ground. Does that mean you haven't ruled out some causative link with your labs? Lachlan's voice goes a degree colder. It's not an intimidation tactic as much as it is analytical. It still makes Tamsin uneasy. The report is going to cover this exact issue, and yet she still feels pointedly exposed being asked directly. Tamsin eats another olive and sits back and cradles her drink. You can't prove a negative, Mix Woodfield. Hmm. Lachlan taps two fingers against the table, then knocks back a good third of her drink. She sucks her teeth after, as if searching for patience in her enamel. Please, Dr. Rivers, she says at last. This is not a time to be your iconoclastic self. I need straight answers as you get them, not a miraculous presentation once you have all the grit cleaned away. Hmm. Tamsin glances to one of the windows made of a thick, transparent material that isn't entirely glass and can withstand the crush of earth against the walls. Recessed lights illuminate the dirt and rock beyond. And you'll get them in the report tomorrow, properly encrypted. Trust me that I'm doing the necessary work. A click as Lachlan sets down her glass. I want to hear you say it. That's new. That's galling. Tamsin bites back a snarl and takes a too large gulp of her own cocktail, then sets it on the table between them so hard it nearly cracks the glass. Calm. Focus. Lachlan is not the enemy. She isn't a friend either, but they ultimately need one another. In another life, they might even have wanted one another. Hmm. The onset of the issue postdates the beginning of our experiments by a wide margin, she says, picking her words with care. All the drilling was finished up a year ago. All the construction was completed four months after. For eight months, they've been testing and calibrating and trying to work out exactly how the new technology functions and what else it can do, but the first few inches of loss were only measured two and a half months ago. However, preliminary analysis does show a correlation between the beginning of our active testing cycles and the likely start of the subsidence. It's not a direct one-to-one, -one, but it is statistically significant. Hmm. She lets that hang in the air between them, sipping languidly at her Negroni once more. The lack of discernible underlying geologic process is concerning, but we also have no theories as to how data transfer might account for any of what we're seeing. While the timing overlaps, the locations don't, and there's no known mechanism. Hmm. Her handler is entirely focused on making her feel trapped by the booth at her back. It isn't easy to admit to fault, even knowing this is the safest person she can tell. There's a good chance we won't need to disclose the existence of the labs, she says. I would like to formally request that we continue to run our experiments. We're getting very close to the next phase of testing, and there's still a real possibility that the relationship we're seeing emerge is not causative. We may even be able to better monitor the problem from our vantage point. Mm -hmm. Lockin's expression is grim as she spears an olive on a toothpick, pale wood contrasting sharply against her gloves. You have provisional permission to continue on the condition that you report in on a regular basis. Full transparency, Dr. Rivers. Of course. That has always been the deal. Mr. Thomas receives an accurate accounting of her work, no matter the circumstances, and she doesn't have to scrounge for grant money. It's a fair enough trade, and he has yet to hold any failures or missteps against her. You'll be given every resource necessary. You will be given the leadership role in determining Miracle Dynamics' response, as public or private as you prefer it to be. Inside, Tamsin thrills at that. Outside, she quirks one manicured brow. Surprising. <laughs> the subway line's breaking will cost a lot of money, Dr. Rivers. And a lot of goodwill goes unspoken. Mirica bought the crumbling money pit of San Sirocco's public transit system to allow Tamsin to do her research, but in doing so, they also position themselves as a company dedicated to the public good. If anybody connects Mirica's actions to any of the impending disaster, it's not just Tamsin who will go down for it. They're going to walk this fucking tightrope together. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Tamsin asks, finishing her drink. One down. 
Lachlan mirrors her, then meets her gaze placidly. She gestures for the waiter. He arrives quickly. We'll have another old-fashioned, Lachlan says. For her second drink, she's being given a choice. It's a small concession, a show of approval, if not trust. Mm. Classic daiquiri, she says. Simple, comforting, entirely the opposite of Lachlan's choice, and quickly drinkable. The waiter leaves. If the two projects begin to conflict, Lachlan says, you are to immediately prioritize the subsidence. How crucial are the underground labs to the actual functioning of the project, beyond the research, day to day? Essential, Tamsin replies, the communications protocol requires the shielding provided by the node deck. It can't be replicated above ground now that you've had a year to test. We can't build something to spec. No. Hmm. The labs take advantage of the quiet of the deep earth, the lack of particle interference, the vast and empty dense space. It goes beyond the shielding possible with feet of concrete, and it's the only way to have messages mere instantaneously between rooms miles and miles away, bypassing the limitations of satellites and fiber optic cables and cell towers. She refuses to give up on it, not when the invention of that technology will immortalize her name. <laughs> then you need to prepare an exit strategy, Lachlan says. The moment there is any indication that causation is likely, the whole project ends. Your chest tightens. Mix Woodfield, non-negotiable. She has the gall to look apologetic. Hmm. Tamsin feels sick. Her daiquiri arrives. Is there anything else I need to know? Lachlan prompts when she doesn't reach for it. Tamsin doesn't flinch. She takes her glass, sips, sets it aside. No, she lies. You said I'll have the resources I need to cover all angles on this? Of course. Approval to work off-site? Lachlan's brows rise. Depends. How far off-site? Hmm. Just from home, away from office politics as needed. It's not her usual mode. She prefers to have an iron grip on her personnel as well as her experiments, but it's a reasonable request. Lachlan would need to have a very good reason to deny her. If you want my full attention, that's the best way to get it. A few days a week where I could focus on the data only. Consider it done. The nausea hasn't let up, but it gentles now. She can do this. She will do this. Mm. I'll figure out the causative factors. We're far from running out of options. She smiles and holds out her coupe, clinks it gently against Lachlan's glass. I promise. Lachlan's knee shifts and brushes the spike of Tamsin's heel. Good. Oh. oh, I'm so excited for this book. And if your reaction to that is, God damn, Lachlan would feel this hot. You are uh -huh. <laughs> Oh, I mean, I knew that this was going to be an extremely queer book because you wrote it. But also, like, God damn. Yeah, and of course, um, once you throw a doppelganger into the mix, you get the inherent queerness of either wanting to murder or bang yourself, mm -hmm. or both. So, that's definitely it. Incredible. Oh. There's also um, some gender stuff, because the doppelganger that comes through Tamsin's mysterious basement door mm -hmm. is like a very gentle, soft femme, oh. whereas Tamsin is like an ice queen femme. And I and but then the dynamics start to shift and change, and I believe it was Isaac Feldman who said it's a deadly force, a deadly game of force fending yourself. <laughs> so, for everyone who's here for the gender, I stuff, am I am here for the gender. gender. <laughs> oh, wonderful! So, uh, this of course is tales from the trunk. So I have to ask. Uh, is there any part that you're just super sad had to get left on the cutting room floor uh, that doesn't give away too much, obviously? 
weirdly, not much got cut out of this. Um, things got reordered mm, mm-hmm. or expanded on, but not really cut. This was this was written from an outline that I kind of I created first, talked it over with my editor, and then went nice. from. Nice. But in hindsight, <laughs> I do wish that there was like a scene where Tamsin and her doppelganger made out. <laughs> I did not put one in. I there there's a bunch of of sexual tension, but I, I never quite got to the point. Mm-hmm. Never found an excuse to have them um, act yeah. on it. Well, I mean, unless you consider unless you consider um, unadvised medical procedures <laughs> to be acting on it, which for some of my readers, I'm pretty yeah. sure you will. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was gonna say also uh, fanfic writers, you you know what to do here. You know what to do. They're living in the same house. Uh, they were roommates. There's a lot of attention paid to their sleeping situation. <laughs> There's a couple places where there are very exploitable gaps <laughs> in in what I cover of what happened. Some time, some time gaps. So please, <laughs> of course, I won't look. Right? It up. Yeah. No. I would never do that. But definitely no. not. <laughs> that that doesn't happen. Oh, that's that reminds me very strongly of something that uh, an exercise that I did in college uh, in one of my writing classes that was never uh, was never positioned as you are writing fanfic of this, but in hindsight was exactly that of taking a short story and then. Uh, finding a gap in it and inserting, uh, doing, doing a, uh, you know, study the voice, capture the voice, put fanfic in the middle of it. Yeah. Uh, which, what a great exercise and what a great exercise that was not in any way positioned as, oh yeah, you're doing fanfic here. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. That's very exciting to the 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 uh, one very excited for you that you didn't have to cut very much because like that's that's a whole thing. Yeah, I'm not sure if we I can't remember if we talked about this about the Luminous Dead, but I had to cut like the entire original second half of the oh, Luminous yeah. Dead um, because my editor wanted a version without the monsters in it. <sighs> So that, yeah, having been on that side of things, mm-hmm. um, and also uh, Jane Lawrence got revised and revised and remixed and revised and remixed. This was a very straight shot from concept to finished product. Nice. I think there was only actually two areas of the plot that I ended up changing the order of things and expanding a couple areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, I got a very lightly in this, which was great because it happened. I was writing it at a time in my life where I did not have a lot of spare time yeah. um, to go back and, and redo parts. Yeah. 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 Woo. The, I can imagine how the edits went on Jane Lawrence. Most of them happened before we sold the book. Most of them was, was me on my own or me with my agent. Mm-hmm. Um, but at one point with Jane Lawrence, Augustine had POV chapters. Oh, wow. And, I I thought I was making him more sympathetic and also like making things spookier sooner because he sees things, of course, before Jane does. Mm-hmm. Um, without giving too much away, 
but it ended up making him insufferable. <laughs> it, it made him unsympathetic because you were like, wow, Augustine, can you shut up? Mm -hmm. Can you stop whining about your situation? Whereas when we, we see it with Jane's both anger and empathy, it makes him more interesting, I think. Mm -hmm. um, there, yeah. Yeah. And also I was majorly, I, I can't remember if I changed anything after seeing the, the movie A Dark Song, which is a fantastic <laughs> occult horror film. Um, or if just seeing it kind of coincided just because of other research I'd been doing. Mm -hmm. But that also made some changes to the, the metaphysical side of things. Nice. I think I read that back to back with um, Ivy Noel Weir and Steens's uh, graphic novel Archival Quality. And let me just say, like, choice pairing there. Uh, two, two extremely good gothics that are uh, not in conversation with each other, obviously, but are in conversation with with what a gothic is in a yeah. really great way. Speaking of great pairings, just as a complete aside, <laughs> because I'm, I'm singing the praises of this book everywhere. Um, for fans of The Luminous Dead, I would strongly suggest you pick up Sarah Lotz's The White Road, Ooh. which came out like over a decade before... <laughs> Luminous Dead, and I didn't read it until a couple months ago, mm -hmm. but um, they're definitely dealing with some of the same concepts of grief and losing a mother and death voyeurism oh, wow. and extreme climbing. The entire opening is um, caving gone wrong, so <laughs> you will recognize some stuff. Uh, we definitely read some of the same sources for our research. Mm -hmm. But it's really fantastic. It's it's a book about a guy who basically is is creating content for a website that is very much like ye old rotten dot com. Oh yep. Um, you know, you know, shocking photos of of you know in this in the first case, um, you know, bodies that have been left in a cave because turns out it's very hard to get people out of a cave if they die in a cave mm -hmm. yep. uh, without risking other people's lives. So. He's he's going he goes into this cave to get this footage and things go wrong with the 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 spooky guide that he hired and everything else. And in the wake of stuff that happens there, he ends up being sent by his his co-creator of his website to go to Everest to go film film some dead bodies there. Mm -hmm. And then it overlaps with this narrative of a previous of a, of a climber on Everest and both this guy and this climber. They both feel like they're being followed by someone that they can't see, which they tie to um, the third man syndrome, which is mm -hmm. a known phenomenon, especially if like you're, say, stranded in, in Antarctica, mm -hmm. like Shackleton. Um, sometimes people will report that they are certain that there is another person walking with their party, but that is not there whenever they turn to look at them. In most cases, actually, historically, it's it's a reassuring feeling, mm -hmm. which is good for them. Not sure what their brain chemistry was doing to give them that nice bonus, mm -hmm. but um, it's it's not very reassuring in the White Road. And but yeah, it just a lot of a lot of interesting and unexpected similarities in terms of how people deal with like extreme physical deprivation mm -hmm. and ambition and death and all of that very cool great, great stuff great stuff yeah. <laughs> if you're into that sort of thing which i am um and the audiobook is quite good oh nice i will definitely put that on my never-ending list 
You're welcome. <laughs> Very much thank you. Uh, so having having covered the, uh, the regrets, at least, about the things that didn't go in, if not the things that got cut, uh, is there any part that, uh, without giving too much away, obviously, uh, is there any part that you're just so excited for people to get to in this book? Pretty much every interaction between Tamsin and Lachlan <laughs> is just, it just vibrates with potential mm, mm -hmm. um, in, in ways that changes throughout the course of the book. I'm really excited to, for people to get to have run-ins with Lachlan because nice. um, she, you're going to think you know why she's there in the book. Um <laughs> But hopefully, I can take you by surprise a couple of times. Awesome, I'm 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 really glad that you read chapter two of this book so that we know who we should be so excited for because I am definitely excited. I mean, that's that, and then um, Tamsin's doppelganger, who she refers to as Prime, mm. um, in the mathematical sense. Mm -hmm. um, Prime is also a very interesting character because you know I, I mentioned that she starts off as a very soft femme version of Tamsin she's not only like gentle and kind but she's very trusting and you're kind of sitting there going okay well what mm -hmm. is it an act is it not an act um because usually in a doppelganger story the doppelganger is there to show things that the main character is hiding about themselves like fears that they have anxieties crimes that they've committed that they've covered up mm -hmm. it's usually like a, it's almost like a haunting or or in some other cases just a really bleak this person who looks just like he was here to ruin your life Ooh, yeah like and but like tamsin already knows that she kind of sucks like <laughs> she knows that she's not a nice person um she doesn't care she's made she's decided to live her life the way she's living her life for very specific reasons mm -hmm. and screw all y'all get out of her way um and so i had to find a way to make her doppelganger still scary mm -hmm. and it couldn't just be that she's exactly like tamsin the, the issue is um that i would say if, we, if this book had a tagline on the cover the tagline should be do you trust yourself mm -hmm. and tamsin does not <laughs> she would never trust herself she knows what she's capable of mm -hmm. um and so i had fun playing with that and and what exactly is happening with this seemingly trustworthy version of her mm -hmm. Whew. i'm gonna read this book and then i'm gonna reread gailey's the echo wife so i read the echo wife after writing the first draft of this book and I was a little bit scared. I was like, oh, no, how similar are they going uh -huh. to be? Am I going to have accidentally, like, cribbed this entire book? Uh, they are actually not very similar in, in many ways, but they definitely are cousins. Mm -hmm. um, Gailey has since read uh, Lastly of the Room, and we basically just were doing the Spider-Man yeah. meme at each other. Um, because, you know, of course, both books have to deal with, with scientific ambition mm -hmm. and gender and gender performance and... And what happens when the version when the when the copy of you is not quite you? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think they're, speaking of, of books in conversation with each other, they are definitely that's a, definitely a double feature that's pretty exciting. I'm yeah. very happy that 
for LinkedIn that way. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we we've already covered uh, pretty much your your bibliography in terms of what other people should uh, check out from you. Is there anything else that you have forthcoming uh, or recently out of your own work that you want to make uh, make our listeners aware of? So for fans of the Luminous Dead, there is now a short story set just before and concurrent with the Luminous Dead. It's mm -hmm. out in Grimdark magazine. It's called Caver Continue, which is actually oh. one of the previous titles for that we consider for the Luminous Dead. Uh, don't like you could you could read it if you haven't read the Luminous Dead, but if you have read it, it's going to be probably a bit more fun. Uh, if if you remember the previous the caver previous to gyre eli mm -hmm. it is events from his perspective Ooh, very um, exciting and it was a lot of fun to write it was also very interesting because it covers a lot of the same time span mm -hmm. as a whole novel <laughs> in under four thousand words i am not a short story writer by nature so this was um this was something that i was i was basically I got asked if I had wanted to tell any other stories in any of the worlds of my books. And I came up with that one. And then I had the challenge of having to execute it. And <laughs> same with the short story, the, the cannibal vampire short story that I have coming out in the Neon Hemlock Crawling Moon anthology. Mm -hmm. I had a max word count. And by God, I used all of those words. Uh -huh. um, so both of those I'm very excited about. Um, but the Crawling Moon comes out actually same month yep it also comes out spooky time october i think um yeah i'm pretty sure they have time before that yeah um and then the caver continue story is already out it was in the july issue of grim dark magazine fantastic uh i think that covers it because i have a i have another book in process but it hasn't been officially announced anywhere, <laughs> so you know i could get everyone very excited about it but then there's nowhere to go for any more information yeah and I haven't finished writing it yet, so I don't really want to... Also that, it. yeah. Yeah. Don't want to curse it accidentally by talking too much about it. Yeah. But basically, if if, if you like hospitals... I You have my attention already. I mean, you said you, like you were gothic, writing a book, so you had my attention. Yeah. Hospital, gothic, let your mind run away with the, with the idea, with those two words. I already have. <laughs> um... On, on the subject of things that we would like our listeners to know about, is there any media in the, the broader media landscape that you've been especially enjoying recently you'd like folks to know about? Um, I already talked about The White Road by Sarah Lotz. I am rereading, or I've only read the first half of it, so now I, I'm rereading and about to embark on the rest of it. Um, <laughs> the queen's thief series by megan whalen turner oh uh-huh you aren't aware of them they're fantastic ya but not written like current ya they're just they're, they started coming out i think in the mid early 2000s mm -hmm. I say. um that if you like it if you like unreliable narrators <laughs> that's the place to go um and this isn't you know anything super new it's, it's kind of Everyone talked about it all, you know, for a hot second, and I'm not sure anyone's... I think we're all just waiting for season two now. Mm -hmm. Severance. Ooh. The TV show Severance on Apple TV. Absolutely fantastic. 
very hard to describe. <laughs> <laughs> but excellent. Um, and as a, as a shout out to myself, I was I almost died screaming when Isaac Feldman uh, <laughs> blurbed Last Lily of the Room by calling it if Shirley Jackson wrote an episode of Severance. Oh. The highest praise I could have ever received. Besides That's a deadly exciting. game of force fending each other. That was also fantastic. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, that's, I, uh, I have some more things to check out. Uh, and I, I think listeners, you probably will as well. Of course, uh, as always links to all these things will be in the show notes. Uh, this being, we're recording in, uh, mid August of 2023. Uh, we don't know what October is going to look like, but before we go, Caitlin, where can our listeners find you elsewhere? Check my website first. Do that. <laughs> CaitlinStarling.com. Yeah. Um, I am still on the artist formerly known as Twitter. Yep. For now. Unfortunately, yep. At C-S-E underscore Starling. I am still on Instagram at author C the letter Starling. I need to consolidate these and like actually have a reasonable... <laughs> Reasonably predictable naming scheme, and I am on Blue Sky at C, the letter, Starling. Fantastic. Dot B-S-K-Y dot social. Yeah. Yep. But I should come up, regardless, anywhere I am, if you search for my name, I should come up and, you know, I, I have yet to have a impersonator account, but, you know, just, yeah. if you've ever seen my actual social media, it should be pretty clear when it's me or not. Yeah. <laughs> If if you need some education about how how to deal with doppelgangers, check out Last to Leave the Room. Maybe I'm not sure I would recommend <laughs> Tamsin's approach, but um, yeah. if you'd like some information about how not to deal with doppelgangers, yeah, there we go. <laughs> well, Caitlin, thank you so so much for coming on the show once again. It's been such a delight. Thank you for having me and letting me go wildly off topic several times uh, th this is the wildly off topic show that's what we're here for you get a couple of artists in a room they just start talking things happen it's great tales from the trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful oakland california our theme music is paper wings by lillian boyd you can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can maybe still find the show on Twitter at trunkcast, and I tweet at hbbisnyaks. Those usernames are also wildly applicable on most other social platforms. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. Mm -hmm.